Hello there, I'm Dee Reddy and welcome to Inside Intercom. Today, we're back with the second episode of the second season of Scale, our series dedicated to the strategies and frameworks that drive business growth. Once again, we've lined up a slate of brilliant leaders and thinkers from the likes of Google, Paddle, Yelp and more. Folks who have all successfully propelled their company to a new stage of growth despite the odds. There's no magic formula to scale, but over the next few weeks, you'll hear them share the growth levers that they found and the advice that they have for others looking to expand their business in the same way. This week, we're featuring Tara Robertson, Director of Marketing Strategy at Sprout Social, who we had the pleasure of interviewing on the podcast stage at SASDOC this year. Over the course of the series, you'll hear a number of the interviews that we recorded at the conference. So a huge thanks to our friends at SASDOC for facilitating such a great setup. Tara joined Sprout Social back in 2017, initially leading and growing its agency partner program. Today, she drives growth and retention for the company through customer marketing and segmentation. She's also helped other fast-growing companies like TSL and Hotjar grow into much-loved brands. Tara tells our content director, John Collins, the story of how the jobs-to-be-done methodology helped Sprout Social completely revise its customer journey using a customer-centric approach, which ultimately increased their net revenue retention. It's a really interesting discussion. So let's dive in and hear from Tara and John. So welcome to Inside Intercom, Tara. Can you give us a bit of background on yourself and your career and how you uh, got to the point where you're now running marketing strategy at Sprout Social? Yeah, for sure. Thank you for having me, John. Um, so name is Tara Robertson. I lead up marketing strategy at Sprout Social. Um, had, have had a bit of a unique career in that I've been in marketing leadership for almost 20 years now. Um, started in the agency space. So I ran an agency, TSL Marketing. Um, started as employee number 10 which ironically was started in Carlo, Ireland. Um, not too far from where we are recording at Sastock. Exactly. Um, and we had an office in Boston, Massachusetts. So when I joined there, we were about a 10-person shop and were a full B2B lead generation technology company for um, a lot of large technology businesses and their channel ecosystems. So we started there and built into a lot of um, what we did with digital marketing, started to build a digital division, and we're one of the first agencies in HubSpot's agency partner program. So after building that to about 300 people worldwide, which was um, really fun and a great experience, I transitioned over into the SaaS world, led up marketing at Hotjar when they were first early founded, um, and then moved over to Sprout Social to lead uh, our agency partner program, and now all of our segments and customer marketing. So you've been on both sides of that sort of agency partner approach. TSL, you were an early HubSpot partner and helped mm-hmm. you, you know, build that up to, to fuel growth there. And at Sprout, you've, you're now building out an agency partner program. Yep. What is the key to a successful partner program? What do you need to make it work? Yeah, that's a great question. And I get that question a lot from a lot of different SaaS businesses because often when you're building your product, you think that there's a large channel ecosystem. There's a lot of agencies that you can come in and a lot of companies will think, what can I do to get agencies to resell my software? How do I actually get to build this revenue and unlock this revenue channel? Uh, And coming from the other side, something that I've learned in watching HubSpot go their program, being an agency and now coming over to Sprout is 
it's really not about how you get the agency to sell your software, it's how to get the agency to see value in your software. So the key to the success is really building a value-driven program and building a way for the agencies to be able to grow and scale on your platform, and in turn, they start to resell. So there's that huge step in customer research, voice of customer, and a ton of getting to know your customers that helps unlock that channel for your business. So that's interesting. You, you, you're, you're a big proponent of this idea of the, of the voice of the customer. Right. And so you think that, you know, if you're going to partner effectively or set up a partner program or use that partner channel, that you really first have to understand your customer. Mm -hmm. Is that correct? Absolutely. How do you apply that then at Sprout at the moment? For sure. Um, and I would say it first started with our agency program. So when we started in the agency segment, it was to solve a hard problem in that agencies are one of our more volatile segments. So we see um, a lot of more project-based work. It's a little bit volatile when you think about the MRR and the way you're working with the agencies. And so before we actually built into how we solved for that, we spent a ton of time researching. And so I'd say our agency partner program, it took us about three to six months of just surveying our customers. We did a ton of customer research um, when it came to understanding their unique reasons that they were coming to us in the first place. And part of that was looking at both your healthy customers and who's growing, who's scaling the most, but then also thinking about your unhealthy customers, why you're losing them, why they're leaving, and really driving in and spending a lot of time interviewing them. Um, that helps unlock a lot of the value-driven components that got brought into how we built for our agency segment um, and started to see a lot more fluidity and also uh, our agency partners growing a lot faster than where we saw that volatility before. Um, so taking that model, we've now applied that to our other segments because we solve for SMB, enterprise, mid-market, and also agency, so each individual segment is exponentially different. They have a different value proposition. There's a different reason they're coming and buying and using our software. And it's critical that we continue to apply that same model, continue to research, interview, survey. It never, it's never a one-stop project. It's something that's always on. Is it a challenge? Uh, I, I presume it is, but getting churned customers to talk to you. I mean, they've just stopped using your product and you're saying, hey, can you you know, tell us what's wrong, what's up? <laughs> yeah, um, for sure. I think there's always a challenge when it comes to reaching out. And one of the biggest things that I'll often hear when I talk about customer surveys and research is that your customers might not talk to you or what happens if they don't respond to that survey. Um, and while there is a challenge, you'll get a certain amount of drop off. It's actually surprising how many people do want to talk to you. At the end of the day, we're all humans and our customers are all looking at the way they buy. They're trying to solve a problem and they're coming to you to help them get a better version of themselves. And so even if they've churned, they like to tell you why. And so often asking that question and spending time with those customers and understanding why they left, you'll start to see patterns that emerge in that. And so while it might be a challenge, that challenge should never stop taking that step because there is always going to be a customer that's more than willing to talk to you and to give you their feedback and to feel heard. Yeah, I think people sometimes build it up into this thing of, oh my God, you know, yes. but then when you actually reach out human to human, exactly. as you say, they just want to be heard. Yeah, exactly. Their, their frustrations. So we touched briefly on this idea of the voice of the customer uh, research. You applied it first, I suppose. You kind of got, came to it through the agency program. I mean, how do you handle, though, when, when this voice of the customer research throws up things that are unexpected? I mean, like, how do you get the rest of the company bought in so that presumably product teams might go, oh, 
yeah, we weren't planning on building that, but it seems like yeah, that's what the customers want or that's why mm -hmm. people are churning. How, how, how do you handle that and how do you sort of prime the rest of the company to act on, the, on this voice of the customer report? Yeah, that's a great question. We spend a lot of time, we're, we're a very customer-centric business and so every department at Sprout tries to lean in to listening to our customers, whether it's through sales calls, success calls, customer surveys that we talked about that we do within our marketing and growth teams. Um, and the product team is very, very similar. And so often when feedback comes back that's unexpected, it's a nice surprise because it helps us start to understand and really build that empathy into our customer approach and the way that we work with them. And so internally, we spend a ton of time both looking at product feedback and prioritizing that, whether it's on product board or whether it's within the back end of how we're looking at what we're doing within the product, but also what kind of feedback we're hearing um, and making sure that that is critical in every stage of what we do. So I'd say that in general, it, it's good to have the entire company built around feedback as a, a central core of what it is that we all do. Um, but when it comes to people that maybe are new or coming in and don't necessarily have that built into the DNA of how they're doing, they're growing in their career, uh, often giving examples. So whenever we spend time doing presentations on this new campaign that we're running or this new work that we're putting together or feedback for our product team on what we're hearing our customers saying or sharing, a lot of that will be in listening to phone calls and sharing that phone call uh, or sharing quotes of what we hear from our customers specifically and making sure that that voice is heard. And a lot of the time as people think and they listen and they put themselves in the seat of their customer, uh, they start to get a lot more empathy and a lot more humility in what it is that they're building. Are there recent features that you guys have built at Sprout or introduced that you have, have come about directly as a result of this that you kind of went, oh, that, that's totally just because the customers told us and, and not because our product managers were, it was their pet project. That's a great question. Um, I'd like to say that we, in general, we've been around for about 10 years and have been um, built pretty well in terms of listening to our customers, but also in the way that we've seen the market and the economy build, as well as just in general, what we're seeing within the segment. So a lot of what we've been building within the product specifically is a, it's usually all encompassing, right? What the customers are sharing with us, but also how the product team itself is innovating. But a lot of our products uh, get better because of our customer feedback. And so oftentimes we're kind of building on and we've recently released reviews. We're also working on releasing premium analytics. Um, our listening product, we've done a ton of work and innovation in. And a lot of that comes through the way that the product team is innovating, but also the feedback that we get from our customers. And of course, we jumped straight into talking about <laughs> uh, customers and the voice of the customer. We didn't actually talk about, for people who may not be aware of Sprout, and we are a customer, I should put our cards <laughs> on the table, Intercom use Sprout. Can you explain your offering and how it's different from the competition? Yeah, for sure. So Sprout Social is a social media management platform for business. So we offer deep listening, analytics, social media management, and also customer care and customer advocacy. And so really work on the platform model for being able to engage from a social component. How we're different from the customers or the competitors is that, not customers, <laughs> we are fully customer focused and customer driven. So if you look at any feedback from our product, we're rated number one when it comes to our voice of customer as well as the amount of time that we spend listening to customers and really being engaged with them. So it's probably one of our core differentiators is really um, our customer centric approach, but also our people. Sure. And I mean, you guys have, have, have obviously scaled a lot and grown in the last few years. You now have an EMEA office here in Dublin as well. What's been sort of driving the growth? Like, who, who are the customers? Who, what segments are you, you, you selling mm -hmm. to? Or is it a broad 
across the board. Yeah, it is across the board. So we solve for every segment, whether it's agency, SMB, enterprise, and also mid-market, which is both fun and also a challenge. Uh, something that our CEO talks a lot about, which I really love, um, is that a lot of businesses believe that you can only build for one segment or that you have to pick a category and focus on just that. And at Sprout, we believe that um, to do that, it could just be lazy, right? Like you actually can build for every segment. You just have to be really, really clued in to your actual segments, the voice of customer, and understanding all of the individual customer journeys that happen because when you're solving for companies that go all the way from SMB to enterprise to agency at mid-market in the middle, um, they all come to us for a different reason. They have a different reason to buy, they have a different reason to use the product, um, and they use social media incredibly differently, whether it's for publishing or actually for customer care. And presumably that creates a big challenge for trying to solve for all those categories, creates a big challenge for your role in marketing strategy. I mean, right. how, do, how do you think about that? I mean, are, are you sort of, you know, marketing towards different segments at different times, or are you, try, mm -hmm. you know, trying to do campaigns, multiple campaigns at once? What, how, how do you think about that? Yeah, um, we've gotten more sophisticated over the years. So one of our Sprout values is to seek simplicity. So we often, and we've talked about this previously too, um, we try not to overcomplicate all of our segments in knowing that there is a core job to be done that most of our customers come to Sprout Social for, and so typically, with our campaigns, we'll start there and not try to layer in all the different complexity, but as we see more buyer behaviors and as we see more of what the customers are looking for, we can start to layer in those different complexities of what the segment differentiator is. So typically we'll start with the idea of seeking simplicity and then we build off of that based on where we're seeing the, the higher impact and less effort that goes into the individual campaigns. Yeah, you obviously touched on, on jobs to be done there. I mean, it's it's something that we've been quite open about at Intercom that that we you know heavily informs, particularly our, our I suppose our product building, but it's also informed our, our marketing. How do you apply it in Sprout? Is it like across the business or is in in marketing primarily? And I think this something I'd, I'd follow up with is just you know for us, it's great to know what be, the jobs that people mm -hmm. are using your product for, but as a marketer, sometimes you also need to know you know where those people are hanging out who have that job. I mean, is that do you have to have personas as well, or how do, you, how do you think about that? Yeah, that's a great question, um, and we hear that a lot. So we used to have a ton of personas and started to shift over to the jobs to be done methodology probably about a year, year and a half ago or so, and have just gone through a huge process in redoing our customer journey mapping where we're understanding every stage that the customer's going through and what they're doing within each one of those stages, what they're thinking, how they're feeling. Um, and I really recommend it because the biggest differentiator we saw is that in a persona-driven world, you're really thinking about that fictional character. In the jobs to be done mindset, we're building our process based off of real data. And so the way to do that is that you think about what questions and what journey your customers are going through. So every customer comes to you um, because there is a struggle, there's a pain that they're trying, to, they're trying to answer. There's something that they're trying to come to your product to find a solution for. And so understanding that struggle is the first step in really knowing why, you, why your customers are coming, how you can help them solve for that, and what are their motivators to actually want to buy. And then the third step in the jobs to be done methodology is knowing the desired outcome. So desired outcome is really their dreamer state. So how do they envision a better version of themselves in their product? So when they get to your product and they start using their product, a lot of businesses will talk about that as their aha moment or as the moment that they get to activation. And so what we think about is what is the state that they want to get to and build for that. 
And so when you're starting out with the jobs to be done, if you get super complicated, this is where we say layer in that seek simplicity, is to understand what is that core fundamental struggle that most of your customers come for. Solve for that. Don't try to solve for every single struggle or every single thing that they're dealing with. And as they get stronger with your product, and as you get stronger with understanding them and building up retention and understanding how to help them grow, that's when you can start to layer on the complexity of what is the next job to be done that they're trying to achieve. So it's almost like a ladder as they're going up and building and growing within your product. Yeah, I mean, for us, it definitely was. We just had different social tools all over the place. And we're just like, let's just get everyone on, on right. one platform. And yeah. Just, and then let's just see what happens ourselves. And obviously, there, mm -hmm. there's, there's advantages in that. Although it's quite interesting, you, you, you sort of said, you know, the advantage of jobs to be done is it's real data. You're actually looking at what people do rather than right. what they tell you they do. I mean, is, is that kind of, was that the light bulb moment for you guys as well? That just like, this is not, you know, customers will tell you one thing, but do another thing. Yeah, quite exactly. Um, and I think that that's a common, it's a common mistake that a lot of businesses make, especially in SaaS, when they're building and growing, is you look at the features or the activation triggers that you want your customers to do and then start to build marketing or you start to build programs around where you want them to go and don't realize what are the things that they need to do first. And so going through the journey mapping and a lot of the jobs to be done methodology for us internally helped us really empathize and understand what are the things that our customers are coming to us for in the first place and to make sure that that trigger is what happens first. And then as we start to get more sophisticated or introduce them to the more complexities within the platform, we're doing that at the right time. So your activation triggers are a lot more focused on their customer journey versus what you want them to do. And that, that model, that methodology for us, has really helped us start to see better retention, much better activation within the product, more weekly actives, because we're seeing our customers seeing themselves in the way they're moving through the product and introducing them at the right time versus trying to give them information overload, yeah. which is something that we tend to all often do is we tell them everything that's great about our product because we all love our products, that's why we're here. Um, and we want to make sure we don't overwhelm our customers in the stages they're going through. Yeah, I mean, you touched on, uh, on, on churn there and I'm like, you know, it's so much talk here at, uh, at SaaS talk about churn because I think it's like it's this right. cancer that's at the heart of, of every SaaS, SaaS company. But despite that, I mean, it, there's always a feeling, I think, that customer marketing is often overlooked or considered right. a bit of a, a necessary evil. I mean, is, do you think that's a, that's a fair way of looking at it? I mean, and why do you think that is so yeah. much? Why do people overlook customer I think, marketing? I think people just don't know what customer marketing is. It's something I was talking to a few colleagues about earlier today, even, in that when people talk about customer marketing, there are a million different definitions to a million different people. Is it focusing on marketing campaigns? Is it upsell? Is it growth? Is it onboarding? Um, and it's really just about making sure that you're not losing sight of the funnel on the other stage. I think as businesses, you focus so much on activation, but then if churn isn't the one of the number one things that you're also focused on, you put a ton of energy and effort into building them into the funnel just to see them drop off. And so I think the statistic is about five to 30% of your revenue actually comes from your acquisition side, wherein 75 to 90% comes from retention. But when you look at it, how a lot of businesses are building and evolving their customer marketing, I mean, even for ourselves, we only had one or two people on our customer marketing team up until a couple years ago. Mm. So starting to put a more concerted effort on customer marketing and thinking about that from the lens of 
onboarding, retention, and then experience, which includes a lot of our advocacy, has helped us start to build more of that self-touch as well as human touch elements into the way that we connect with our business. Just before we continue with today's episode, I wanted to let you know about Offscript. It's a new series of candid conversations with intercom leadership all about the extraordinary AI-driven transformation we're currently experiencing. Episode 1 is on our YouTube channel right now. Here's a teaser of what you can expect. I don't want to come across as overly dramatic, but for every single tech company, this is an adapt-or-die moment. It's inevitable that all businesses are going to go AI first. It's just a matter of time. In this post-AI world, new companies will rise, old companies will fall. Of course, some of these new companies will flame out. Some old companies will pivot successfully too. I don't think any of us could see a world where this wasn't going to be one of the biggest changes in the customer service landscape ever. The world we care about is customer service, and it's so patently obvious that the old way will be quickly obsolete. We're racing hard to build a future which will result in better experiences and results for customers and businesses too. It's not just a product change, it's a mindset change. Let's make space to talk about all of this. We have so much we want to share. We want to explore these ideas in the open. We want to provoke new ones in you. We want to learn from your reaction. You just click the kind of like big stupid go button, right, and see what happens. Welcome to Offscript. That's all to come on Offscript. The first episode is out now. You can watch it on Intercom's YouTube channel and we'll bring you audio versions of the episodes right here. Now, back to today's episode. You've talked about getting sort of 10x growth through this idea of customer optimization. Can you right. talk us through what, what that looks like, what that process looks like? Because you've, you've really sort of gone through it from soup to nuts, as they say. Yeah, uh, it all starts with your research. And so a lot of what we've been talking about, uh, the jobs to be done, has been a huge component for us in spending time researching and interviewing and surveying your customers. Um, 10x doesn't happen overnight. You hear that a lot. People look for a silver bullet. When it comes to 10x, is what is the next great idea for growth marketing? What is the next best thing that I can start working on? Uh, and for us, the secret to 10x has been speaking to our customers. And so really making sure that every single person on our team, whether it's on our customer marketing team, but obviously your sales and success team, your product team, your entire business, we listen to our calls, we go through support tickets, we understand what the stage of the customer is and where those customer drop-off points are. And you have to have a culture of research, you have to have a culture of spending time and listening to your customers. Um, and I, I truly believe that no matter who you are, what your role is, whether you're a CEO, a founder, a marketer, um, you should be spending time talking to your customers every week or listening to some of your customer calls too. And how do you guys think about churn? Because we, we, we talked about this earlier. I mean, mm -hmm. there, there's many different types of churn. I mean, like, do you yeah. focus on logos? You know, do you, do you think about revenue? What's, what, how do you think about churn and what are you aiming for in terms of a healthy churn rate? Yeah, we think about both uh, logo and revenue churn across the board. We think about churn probably in a few different ways. So internally, we actually don't use the term churn anymore. We okay. focus on net revenue retention. So more of the, the scaling, the growing, and focusing on how we're helping support our customers. But that obviously doesn't mean that we don't think about the drop-off points and where we're losing customers. Churn, no matter what, is inevitable to a certain point. You do know that sometimes you'll acquire customers that might not be the right customer 
or maybe they're not at the right stage of what they'd be using your product for. And so I think understanding what the healthy churn is for your business is most important. Um, when people ask what is a healthy churn, the answer is usually lower, <laughs> lower than whatever it is. Um, and a lot of that is dependent on what your stage is, what your MRR is, what your ACV is. And so larger, larger MRR, larger ACV is gonna have a much lower churn rate in general. Um, and then if you're a much smaller scale company, if you're just starting off, you're probably gonna have a higher churn rate, but just being laser focused on knowing what that is and then understanding where those drop-off points are so that you can start to pull the levers. And so this is where I would layer in um, a lot of our surveys, a lot of our interviews, is we interview and survey based off of each one of those drop-off points. And so if we see churn happening in the zero to 30 day, or the zero to 90 day window, or based off of not having the right activation points, then we'll start to spend time with customers on understanding why, parsing through that data, and then pulling out the patterns and making sure that we can use that in what we talk about in our conversion copy, or what we talk about in how we put together our customer onboarding metrics. If we see churn happening further down the funnel or later on on a retention side, whether it's logo or whether it's revenue churn, um, then we'll survey in a completely different way and start to spend time with those customers, again, pull out the patterns and build that into a lot of the campaigns that we're working on leveraging. So really sort of get down to the root cause, like is yeah. it just a piece of product education that's needed here? Or, you know, is there something that, that that's just missing that we right. need to fill in? Yeah, and one of our, I'd say one of our biggest areas that I, most companies struggle with that we do too, is um, the frustration of when people leave you because they think that your product doesn't do something that it does do, or if they don't have the right education. And so for us, it's layering in that job yeah. to be done methodology, and then also figuring out when do we introduce them to the different parts of the product, give them the right education, and make sure that that is a part of our model so that we can start to build them into healthy accounts. So we measure a lot of our weekly active accounts, we measure our health scores, and then we use those as indicators, but without that qualitative component, and without making sure that we can understand the why, not just the what they're doing, then you don't have the full picture. So making sure you have that is critical. It's a, it's a bit like, uh, you know, if a tree falls in a forest and no one hears it, doesn't make a noise. If, you know, if you've got a feature and a customer can't find it, right. have you really got a feature at all? Right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so you got to solve for that one. Absolutely. It sounds also like you guys have a pretty good relationship with, with, uh, with the sales team at Sprout. Um, you know, I suppose that the, the, the cliche is sales and marketing are always at odds, but it sounds like you guys work pretty, pretty closely together. How yeah. do you, what, what's key to making that relationship work? Yeah, uh, you have to. Um, we have, we have because we're solving for every segment, whether it's SMB or enterprise, we have both a very low touch model um, that's more product led and we have a very high touch model that's more rep led. And so we spend a lot of time both with our leaders in sales and success in understanding what are the different things that we're all working on together. So a lot of our strategic roadmap planning when we put together um, one, what we're working on within product, but two, what kinds of campaigns we're launching. Um, it's done as a partnership. And so a lot of what our success team is doing for their own onboarding is correlated with what marketing is doing for their own onboarding. Um, as we think about our growth levers on the acquisition side, but also on the revenue expansion side, um, those are done in correlation with each other as well. 
And so I'm a big proponent of the bridging the gap, but I don't really believe that it's a bridge that you need to build, it's necessary. And so for me, being on the marketing team, it's just as important as being a part of the sales and success leadership team. And we join each other's meetings, we join each other's strategic discussions, um, we spend time challenging each other on what's working and what's not working so that we can have a really solid forward momentum. Yeah. It's that idea of kind of shared goals. I think that's really key, right. isn't it? Because we talk at Intercom, we don't have a sales plan and a marketing plan. We have a revenue plan. Exactly. And we exactly. both contribute to it. Yeah. And if we're not on the same team, then we're doing something wrong. Yeah. You mentioned the start. You've obviously been in the, the tech industry for a while. You've spoken before about the, some of the challenges you've faced as a woman in, in, in tech and particularly in tech leadership in the past. Clearly, Sprout is a pretty different organization, but do you think generally tech is getting better at diversity and inclusion? I'm thinking more broadly yeah. about it because it's not just about gender. Right, um, I do. I really do think that they are. Um, I think that there's still a long way for us to go in general. Um, I'm very lucky at Sprout. I think that Sprout has been an incredible company. Um, when it comes to our DEI leadership, I serve on our DEI leadership team. And so we spend a ton of time educating each other and educating our business and really making sure that we've got that mindset of bring your whole self to work. Um, and I think as, as the tech industry, we've come a long way and we're kind of setting the stage and setting the standard for a lot of different businesses and seeing what we've been able to do and how far we've come, it's only just the beginning. And so we owe it to ourselves, we owe it to each other, but we also owe it to the world to make sure that that is a part of what we do and that we're setting the standard and the expectations for everyone, not just from a gender perspective, but for all of our marginalized communities. Sure. Tara, that has been fascinating. Where can people keep up with you? Where, where, where do you share? Are you on Twitter? Are you on LinkedIn? Where do we? Yeah, um, absolutely. So you can follow me on Twitter at, at Tara E. Robertson. It's the same handle for LinkedIn. So I would love to connect with any of the listeners. And thank you so much for having me. This has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Tara. Thanks for listening to the Inside Intercom podcast. For more interviews, go to intercom.com slash blog or subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. This is Inside Intercom. <laughs>